party we are your hosts i'm eliza and bran is with me i'm <laughs> on a bit of a lag from uh <laughs> facetime um but today is episode what are we four of season two um four. it's currently yeah. the midst of the like coronavirus covid19 um pandemic the day that we're recording this is what the yeah. 16th of March. So in the UK, it's like everyone's like lost their yeah. shit. So we are going to talk about mm. anything but that because I'm so over. It's like I'm so sick of talking about it. Um, but yeah, how are you, Brant? <laughs> I am okay. I'm trying to just get my head above the water because everything's very unpredictable with classic COVID. It just really yeah. frustrates me because, like, obviously there's so much that we can do to try and, like, protect ourselves and protect other people who are immunocompromised. And working in a place where we get a lot of immunocompromised patients or clients, like, it's um, kind of scary yeah. because they're also more vulnerable to the anxiety, um, a lot of the people that we work with. So... Yes. Um, anyway, we are going to... That's all we're going to talk about it today, <laughs> but... Um, That's done. Yeah. So today we thought we would chat about something that we both care about a lot, and I think we, like, we would hope that it's come through on the podcast previously, but we haven't talked explicitly about it. Um, and that is the kind of, like, social justice angle and the intersectionality that we try and work with in terms of, like... Um, being intersectional feminists and bringing in the values that we hold in terms of um, inclusivity and equality into our work. Wow, that was a really good intro. <laughs> I'm like that proud of myself. Yeah, I was. Yeah, um, really eloquently said. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I guess yeah. As I said, there's not really like we haven't. Um, explicitly talked about this before but I think it's something that's really important and I mean International Women's Day was a couple of weeks ago and that always brings up a lot of kind of talk around um, feminism and how we use it within the world so we thought we would add our mm. two cents um, and yeah should we yeah should we jump into it <laughs> yeah I think I think it's important to acknowledge that we're kind of looking at the social justice side in less of a traditional manner. And I don't mean that in a... I just mean that from a research perspective. Often the social justice stuff basically just comes down to money and education mm -hmm. for the most part. Is that fair to say that people kind of pull that out as the biggest social justice issues, but we're talking about kind of more um, almost sociology kind of side of it, mm. in, in a manner of speaking. Um, it's a bit more abstract. It's, it's something that's not typically 
thought about when you go throughout uni to apply to your practice. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. So again, yeah, like you're saying, addressing more of that feminism. Um, what else? There's so many words that I could use to describe these topics, but anyway. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I guess, and that's, I think, a really good place to start is maybe, should we try and talk before we sort of get into this conversation, should we talk a little bit about how we personally relate to these things and, like, bits of our identity? Mm. Because I think, like, I mean, it's all well and good for us to be talking about inclusivity, but obviously we're both in very privileged positions. We ha- we hold a lot of privilege in the spaces that we're in. And so I think it's really important that we kind mm-hmm. we kind of, like, lay out a little bit about how we relate to these things and sort of like why it's important to us personally um because the bulk yeah. of what we do like we within this space is allyship it's not like the personal like we don't have the lived experience that a lot of other people do yeah. um do you want to go first yep sure um so i will acknowledge my privilege to start off with as liza says i am in terms of body size, I'm straight-sized. Um, in terms of gender oppression, I guess I'm... If you're looking at it from a binary point of view, I'm a female, and therefore the... I guess the more, <laughs> the more oppressed of the two, um, which is absolute bullcrap, but anyway. Um, <laughs> um, I am a person of colour, um, is this a really weird way to break myself apart? I guess I don't really think of myself. I just think of myself as Bran and not these kind of things yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is bizarre. Um, yeah, so I'm of Sri Lankan descent, um, but I, I definitely identify as Australian, um, and not Sri Lankan. I was born and brought up here. Um, what else? I, in terms, yeah, again, in terms of privilege... I am highly educated, I have a fairly stable job, I have a very nice place to live in, (laughs) I can afford access to internet, I can comfortably purchase food, food insecurity is not necessarily an issue for me at most points of life. (laughs) Yeah, 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 touch wood at the moment. Um, God, I could, I actually... It's going to sound so lame, but I actually did write a list of, and this was inspired by Sophie Hagen's book, and this was in no way um, planned for this podcast, <laughs> actually, but I had it on my to-do list. I was like, I want to list, read, list the amount, the amount, or what privilege I had in the world, because I had never seen it just on paper mm. before. And I think it's really um, useful to kind of like come to terms with your social identifiers and, like, the way that you exist within this world as a way of kind of, like... Yeah. Like, it can it can really start to um, broaden your perceptions of, like, what your experience is in that, like, it can bring you a lot of peace of mind mm. knowing that you've got it... I mean, this is a horrible way to put it, but knowing that you've got it a lot better than a lot of other people. <sighs> but I think it can actually be really empowering in acknowledging yeah. your privilege to start to, like, be a good ally and lift other people up. Where you can, um, but yeah. So let's let's hear Brand's and list. Knowing... <laughs> I've titled it "A List of My Privileges," inspired by Sophie Hagen's Happy Fat. Cute. That's not a lie. I literally <laughs> wrote that sentence. Um, I've got thin, 
and straight sized, which I've mentioned already. I've got educated and um, highly educated for the most part. I think I'm only really seeing how much of an impact that's had on me now, being an adult and living by myself and learning about the health system. Um, I have a stable income, which means I have leisure money and more disposable income so I can find pleasure and feel comfortable buying things that may not necessarily just be for survival, that can actually be for, for fun. Um, I, and even if I, you know, I, I'm still well connected to my parents, so I kind of have financial safety net should anything go wrong, um, which is such a privilege to have mm. such supportive family. Um, who I do not take that for granted. I love my parents very, very much for that. And they've always, always supported me in that way. Um, I've got, I have a bed to sleep in. <laughs> I have good people around me. That is a privilege. That is not something that you just luck into. I don't think, um, I'm sure there's some sort of luck at play, but I definitely see that as a privilege. Um, I'm physically able, I'm mentally able I don't know if this is necessarily a privilege, but I have no dependents. I have no pets. I have no children. <laughs> I am solely thinking about myself at this point, which it, it which allows me to be selfish and think of myself only and always. Um, which, I mean, eventually I'd love to have kids, but at the moment I think it's it's very much a privilege to not have to think about anyone else when you're living. Yeah, which sounds terrible. But no, but it, it gives you um, so much more, like, freedom for your own shit. Like, you can... Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a car. I can afford to have a car, which allows me to travel pretty seamlessly. I have a backup on things when public transport may not be working. Um, I can drive to the shops and get my groceries and come home. I can drive myself to doctor's appointments, physio appointments, you name it. Um, I can, for the most part, afford medical treatment. I also live in a country where there's a universal health system. Um, both things are a privilege. I, and this is thinking more from a health research perspective, but I live in, in, um, me metropolitan. That was a really hard thing to come out of my mouth. <laughs> um, I, I live in a city, in a, in an urban environment. Um, that gives you privilege instantly. Mm. Um, you have greater access to things, resources, uh, again, medical treatment. You have options. Um, in terms of my sexual identity, I am straight and identify as a female, and that gives me a certain amount of privilege as well. And something else that I wrote is that I feel like I have time. I say having time is a privilege, which is <laughs> kind of weird to think yeah. about, just having time to kind of like spend and do things and spend it enjoying my life but also having time to do the things that are important to me yeah and I think I, I think having Survive. having that time comes from all of the other areas in which you don't have to be like working ridiculous hours on a minimum wage job you don't have to be looking after other people you don't have to be traveling you know hours on public yeah. transport and I think that's something that a lot of people forget when they're thinking about these things is that people who are in less advantaged positions and who are living basically in poverty don't have the time like time is such a valuable mm. resource to like be able to pull yourself out of it and really um empower yourself to make change because if you're literally working a 12-hour day going home feeding the kids and just like getting like 
you know, four hours of sleep because you've got so much else on, you don't have time to be like getting an education or, you know, like getting yourself out of the situation you're in. And so I think that in itself is such a really important thing to recognize. Um, But it's kind of like a conglomerate of all the other spaces, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think you just nailed it with everything you just said. Um, Everything else allows me to have that time. Um, And I I am trying my best to not take that for granted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And also I think something that's, again, I know we said we weren't going to mention it, but something that's prevalent is that I'm young and fit and healthy, Mm -hmm. which, which allows me to just... (laughs) have a, multi- a plethora of privilege just because of those three things. Yes, yeah. Um, which I think we could talk about for days. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I don't have a very well-written-out list that is like... <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, nothing's going to rival that um, pre- level of preparedness for a conversation that we literally decided we were going to have like 10 minutes ago. Um I know, but how bizarre. Yeah. Was there anything that you wanted to add to that before I, like, talk about my stuff? That's all I have on my list. I am constantly kind of thinking about what does make me privileged now. Um, and we've mentioned this about five times in the last two episodes, but Sophie Hagen's book, Happy Fat. Read it if you haven't. Please read it. Like, it's such um, a good book. Even if... And even if you're not... Like, you may not be in the haze or body positive space or you might not even know her as a, 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 as a comedian. I'm sorry, pronouns. I do need to check them. Um, but Sophie's... The, the book's just universally, universally applicable. Mm. Um, it, has, it really broadens your understanding of a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, and it can, it can just, again, bring that kind of, like level of compassion and understanding to someone else's situation as well. So I think it's actually a really good thing to read if you are in a smaller body, because it's like, it, it really makes you realize how difficult it is to exist in a larger body, but also gives you kind of like practical ideas and tools of how to be a good ally. Like she kind of talks through a lot of different scenarios and and things that might be relevant. Um, But yes, read it if you haven't we can link it in the show notes because it's it was like one of my favorite books from last year and I like tore through it like it was it's it's quite an easy read as well um but yeah yeah anyhow I think Sophie illustrates like you've said she illustrates the experiences so eloquently and so simply Mm. that you kind of it's almost ju- not. I wouldn't even say it's jarring. I just think it's scary how those experiences are just justified as normal. Yeah, and I think that's what makes your head think. Yeah, it makes the kind of the harm that's been done really apparent, and I think that's really valuable yes. because it yeah. it's something that not a lot of people would realize that they're doing harm in a lot of these scenarios. But um, it is something yeah. that's really kind of like when you're living it it's obviously very harmful. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, sorry, my laptop's just gone to sleep. I just want to make sure it's still recording. Yes, we're still going. Um, (laughs) okay. So I, yeah, this is something that I've been thinking about quite a lot recently. Um, I, I really struggle with, with this kind of like identity thing because I think, 
I exist on like the margins of most social identities. So like, I'm not quite white. I'm not quite thin. I'm not quite like straight. I'm not like, you know, like I'm, I'm not existing in the, mm. the perfectly socially acceptable bubble of what it means to be a human. But then at the same time, yeah. I'm like white passing. I'm like attractive enough in terms of like social standards to be able to get away with a lot of things. I have a very good level of education mm. and a very good platform that I can, you know, share my voice with and my own expression without the risk of harm in that like if I, you know, I'm not going to get death threats for things that I say unless I'm saying something that's like actually harmful, obviously. Mm. But like it's mm. kind of this weird sort of I, – I basically can't like lump myself into one category of most things, which really frustrates me because I'm like existing in the space of that like lived exper- experience but also having to be an ally for like a community that I, I partially identify with. Um, and I think yeah. – I guess the the interesting thing about that is that it just goes to show how um, arbitrary a lot of our social constructs are around all of these things um, because like the reason that there's different communities and different people who are like existing within different experiences and bodies is because someone's decided that that's not right like someone's decided that women are the inferior gender and that like Mm. you know like all of these things um and I think that again stems from like capitalism and the patriarchal society but it's yeah it's an interesting kind of like space to be existing in where I'm kind of like I've experienced a lot of the things or I'm in a place where I can be like exposed to a lot of people who have experienced a lot of the things that these communities come up against but at the same time my privilege again in in many of the ways the brands listed that kind of like protects me from it from the from the real kind of like negative impacts of it does that make sense yeah um yeah yeah so yeah I don't know if there's anything I'd really add to that but I guess like in terms of the way that I identify um I mean anyone watching this has like met me or seen photos of me. So like I, I would identify as like small fat. Um, I am a cisgendered woman. Um, I would identify probably as like queer. I do kind of like lump myself into that category because it's one of those things that like, I mean, we don't really need to talk about our like relationships and stuff on this, but like it's something Mm -hmm. that, I feel is a very like integral part of my identity, even if it's not outwardly expressed. Um, and yeah. Um, yeah, I guess being, um, I had a conversation with someone about this the other day that they were not supposed to use this term anymore, but being mixed race. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what, what am I, how am I supposed mm. to like identify myself? My, my neighbor just walked past. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, hello, yeah, Bran. But um, yeah, I guess I'm like, I'm like, well, how do I ident- identify if I can't say that I'm of like mul- like mixed, you know, like I've got two backgrounds that are very culturally and and racially different. Um, but then I guess mm. 
just to expand on that point a bit, I mean, I've, I've mentioned it before on the podcast that my dad's um, Burmese and he predominantly grew up in Australia. He moved, he moved over when he was very young. And so I, while I had like the influence of like my grandparents and his side of the family being a part of Burmese culture, I'm not like, I didn't grow up, he, like, my dad doesn't even speak the language. It's one of those things that, like, basically the food was the only thing tying us to that culture, which I think says a lot in itself. Yeah. Um, but, like, we didn't have, like, if I compare my experience to yours, Bran, or to a lot of other people who are, like, the children of people who have um, moved to Australia, it's, I have a very different and yeah. much more, like, typically Australian experience, I think. Like... Um, yeah. Or like stereotypically Australian. Obviously, there's not stereotypically white Australian as well. <laughs> like, yeah, it's um one of those things that I think I, I kind of lean on as a bit of a social identifier, but I've not actually experienced like any kind of. I mean, I have experienced like racism as a part of it, but not to the point where it's been like actually detrimental and damaging and harmful to me um it's more like just that kind of like social prejudice sort of side of things um but yeah and I think the reason I haven't experienced that is because it's like I've had the privilege particularly of like growing up in quite an affluent area in Perth and like you know going to private schools and or a private school, and, like, being in quite a um, small and inclusive community um, where I haven't had to kind of, like, really fight for my rights, basically. Um, All of those things are kind of, like, taken care of in terms of, like, education and healthcare and money and all of the things that you kind of, like, need to to get ahead in life. Um, And I'm immensely, like, grateful for that so it's something that I'm always like within my work I'm always thinking about how I can do better be better and like be able to make my work more accessible and more inclusive to those around us and to those that don't have the same privileges as us because like if our work is only accessible to the people who are like in the same position as us and can afford to see us yeah we're not really getting to the root of any of these issues um which is why I think having this conversation is so important because it can kind of like bridge um, more platforms and more people can access the things that we're kind of like thinking about and saying. And I think it's also like, you know, a bit of a statement from us to say like, look, we are thinking about these things and trying to do these things, but obviously we do exist in a system that is capitalist and patriarchal and we can't, we don't have much control over a lot of these things. Like it's a conversation that I have with Laura a lot um, trying to make, Mm. trying to set up things, like, put systems in place so that people without financial privilege can access our services as nutrition counsellors, but, like, we're a small business, Mm. we've got to somehow be supporting ourselves, and so that's why we've got, like, the online courses, and and we do a lot of work on our Instagram and social media so that we're making, we're we're putting out a lot of free content, basically, so that people can try and access these things and help themselves, but you know, there's only so much good that can do before it becomes, like, something that's not actually helping anymore, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you're going to hit a ceiling pretty quickly. 
Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think on that note, it'd be good to have a chat about, um, I guess, <laughs> a, the patriarchal paradigm and, <laughs> maybe not paradigm, what's the word I'm looking for? Just how the patriarchy influences <gasps> oh, God. our day-to-day living. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to open up Pandora's box right here. Mm. Um, I just think I, I, the only reason I'm, I, I want to discuss this is because I have read it in Sophie's book recently. Mm-hmm. And just having it explicitly stated... Um, just really illustrates and really makes you think about how females are used in society in in a myriad of ways. Like, we could talk about this for hours and hours on yeah. end. Yeah. Um, I'm just aware of that the, there's a big truck reversing down my... So, sorry if you can hear that. I thought you were going to be about to say something really, really profound. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got, like, I'm just aware of um, I might just, a big truck. I might just, like, wait until it stops. Okay, I think it's gone. This is something that I've been thinking quite about a lot about recently, is that it's a system that's in place in our current society because it's been in place for a long time and it's really difficult to like put a finger on where it stemmed from right and so it's Mm. it's just one of those really annoying frustrating things um that you when you are a part of the oppressed gender or race or whatever like social identifier like whatever part of like whatever group you're a part of that has disadvantage, it, like, there's not much you can do to help yourself unless it's shifted by the person in power, by the person who's oppressing you, right? Um, but I've been reading um, Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own recently. It's, like, an essay that she's written... Um, I'm trying to think when it was written, actually. Let me get the book. Um... But it, what it basically speaks to is what we were saying before about how um, unless you had, unless you have a room of one's own, so unless you have the space and time and capacity and privilege to do things, you can't get yourself out of the situation that you're currently in. Like, that's the general thesis of the essay. Yeah. Um, and that was published in yeah. 1929. And in it, it speaks about things that happen in, like, you know, the 17th century. And, like, she quotes poetry from female authors who, you know, were existing in those times and had the exact same issues that she's speaking to. And I guess um, a lot of the things in that, what became really apparent to me is that we are living in an age where we as women are very... Like, we're much further ahead than we were. We've got a lot more, like, autonomy and we don't have... Like, we can we can have political power and we can have, 
um, we've got the time and we've got the resources to be able to look after ourselves. We can have our own bank accounts. We don't have to be stuck at home cooking all day. And like all of these things that give us the capacity. Can I just add in? In Western society. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, yeah. Probably be the Yes. Yeah. And that I think is a really important point as well is that like we, you and I, don't have to like deal with all of those things. But so many women around the world still do and are still stuck in this cycle of like, like we were describing before, you don't have the time or capacity to be lifting yourself up. Mm. Um, Yeah. But... Yeah, I think in the everyday, I guess something that becomes acutely aware for us in our, like, um, in the society that we live in, um, yeah, the kind of, like, gender disparity in terms of, like, wages and um, opportunities for mm-hmm. jobs and things, which we're very lucky to not have to worry about because we work in a predominantly female industry, Um but that in itself poses a bunch of different challenges because because we're still existing under a patriarchal system, even when there's things like maternity leave and, like, <clears throat> you know, all of the kind of structures that are in place to, in inverted commas, support us, it still makes it really difficult yep. to work together. And it's kind of this, like, yes. weird... Um, it, it pits women against each other, basically, because you're competing for jobs, you're competing for roles, you're competing for money and resources, and and it's like, why can't we just, like, <laughs> you know, have the impact that we... Like, there's there's so much more that we could do if we didn't have to live under this system. And even, like, just in terms of talking about that pitting women against each other, even the attitude within nutrition and dietary yeah. and I don't think I'm the first person to call this out is that the attitude is you will get your entry into dietetics specifically clinical dietetics because someone will eventually go on mat leave yeah I and that is a sentence that I have heard yeah. multiple times yeah and it's so wrong in so many ways mm-hmm. firstly because that just means you're expecting women to have babies um not always the case I mean, in this career, majority do end up having kids, which is great, but it should never be an expectation. Mm. And secondly, it means that you're kind of fighting tooth and bone for a position that, like... Well, it's it's at one another's detriment. Against another woman. Like, you're yeah. fighting against... Exactly. Exactly right. Whether having a child is that, you know, detrimental or not. That's not... I know that's not what you mean. No, like, I mean, like, like, if someone goes on mat leave, you take their job when they come back, one of you's got to go. Like, you know, there's not the resources in place to support both positions, which there should be, particularly if they're funding or, you know, allowing that number of people to enter into the system, Um, which is fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, like, within nutrition and dietetics, I think there's a lot of issues in the first place, like, in that regard... Um, but then even just from like a food consumption point of view, um, and dieting and diet culture and how for the most part, again, there is a bit of being a bit of a shift towards, um, in the statistics of males with eating disorders and things, but for the most part, it's women that are being most advertised to about 
having to have a certain um, aesthetic in order to be successful in life. Yeah, for sure. And I guess um, the at the crux of it as well is that those beauty standards and ideals are based off the male gaze. And so what we're being forced Correct. into, regardless of like how we, um, where we fit in terms of like, you know, the like the culture that we live in and how we want to present, we're always going to be more socially acceptable mm. if we adhere to these these rules and guidelines of what it means to be acceptable and like successful as a woman. And I think yeah. so. That's that in it in itself is like why a lot of diet products and you know the root of diet culture was aimed at women because it's a strategy to like help women meet that goal basically this arbitrary goal that's been set by the the culture that we're living in in order to meet yeah. like that you know that thing and i guess if we think back to a time particularly in i'm talking specifically about like western culture here again is that like you know when there was like the the typical household unit was like a man and a woman maybe a couple of kids the man goes to work the woman stays home mm. and is able to like well not able but she has to cook and she has to do all the housework and she has to clean and a part of that role was also to be enticing to the man right it was to be attractive and like basically be a part of his property that um is mm like there to please and support him in a number of ways and that's like with food I think and... the support's a big yeah yeah and so because sorry I was just gonna say I think support's the key word yeah and so because women have been like forced into this supporting role of like not only food mm. and you know all the housework but like sex and like just like everything that that goes into like you know living a happy life um, because women have been mm. so pushed down into that role. We, we've, like, not been able to foster our own, like, our own experience with those things. And so, like, rather than food being an enriching experience and, and sex being an enriching experience, we've put into this position where, like, we're dieting. We're existing particularly, like, just for male pleasure. Um, and I think obviously like we've come so far since then, but a diet culture is one of those things. It's a real hangover of that. It's that like, I must look a certain way to be happy when in actual fact, like, yes, it's such a bullshit paradigm because first of all, like that's not the case in, in like in the first place, but it's also not a successful way of getting there. Like, like dieting doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah. So I guess we get stuck in this cycle of like, you know, wanting to look a certain way, doing a, doing certain things to do, like to achieve that. And then, a, you know, falling flat on our faces because it, the diet doesn't work and it, you know, ends up backfiring for lack of a better word. And then the whole cycle mm. starts again. And so we get stuck in this kind of really time consuming and wasteful um, cycle of just like, like it's so futile and it's so frustrating because like, and we wrote about this on the LCIE Instagram page, um, the international women's day is that once you can like break away from that and get your own head out of that cycle, not only do you have so much more time for like everything else in life that is enriching and pleasurable and like, you know, you can enjoy food, you can enjoy 
just like being and living in, in a world where you don't have to like abide by those rules not only can, do you get that, yeah. but you can help lift other people up and share that message so that they can as well. And I guess that collective impact is that, you know, we're taking a really big step forward for women's rights in that, well, not only women's rights, but, mm. like, equality in general in terms of, like, you know, a lot of um, gender non-conforming and, and trans and gay and, like, particularly gay men, like, a lot of people of different gender identities also undergo these things as well. Um, but I guess at yeah. the core of it is that, like, the male gaze that is informed what's, like, socially acceptable is. And so if we can start to shift the conversation away from diets, it actually benefits, like, everyone, right? Yeah. And I think that's something that I've had to learn adopting this approach to my practice mm-hmm is that it's no longer just about the food. It's no longer just about the fact that you're dieting and mistreating your body and uh, unknowingly mistreating your body, I guess. Mm. And also, it's no longer about what you're actually consuming, whether that be good or bad. It's about everything else that that attitude subscribes to. Yeah. It's about all the social pressures that you've had. It's all about or the oppression that you've had. It's about the fact that you're feeding into a system that's constantly going to make you feel like shit. And the moment that you can identify that and understand, and it's not it's not easy for everyone to get to that point. It, that it's taken, I think it's taken you and I years to be able to have that emotional energy to unpack all yeah. this shit. But it's, once you have that moment, you realise that you can step away from that and and progress like you're saying your gender or whatever gender you identify with you can progress whatever career you're in you can progress so many aspects of your life that are being held back because of needing to look or a certain way or mm. be viewed a certain way because of what you eat mm. which is such a minimal part of your life anyway why should your food be your identity you know yeah and i, I think that it One thing that I find really interesting when people are kind of like transitioning out of the diet paradigm and into, you know, a more inclusive space is you start to realize how like silly a lot of the things that we do are like, you know, people who are like out there and like no hate on these people because it's one of those things that I'm like, if I cared enough, cool. Um, But people who are, like, out there posting all these, like, beautifully curated photos of their food and all these recipes and all of these kind of, like... And this is where it becomes damaging is the, like, health advice around food um, in terms of, like, nutrient Mm. supplements and, like, all of the weird and wacky things that diet culture has, like, told us are necessary to be happy, which is bullshit. Mm. Um, But, like... You know, it's it's interesting seeing that shift and then when you're kind of, like, out of it looking in, it's like, why the fuck are people talking about this? It's so arbitrary. Like, yes. you know, there's so many bigger problems yep. that we could be talking about. And I guess that's where it comes into that kind of um, really looking at the social determinants of health and, and the things that really play into um, what, you know, is enables people to live enriching and fulfilling lives. Um, because... Mm. You know, that's something that we've sort of talked about quite a lot before is that, like, if you, you know, there's so much more that determines your health than your diet, for example. And that, like, 
like the modifiable lifestyle factors make up such a small component of it that things like discrimination and mm. access to healthcare and you know the those privileges that we were talking about that's what really determines these things and if we're so stuck up yeah. in the like dieting mentality we can't do anything to change those those core determinants of health and the things that actually are going to make an impact yeah. and so the marginalized groups are going to continue to exist in poorer health um, by their standards mm. and by measurable, you know, World Health Organization standards. And so mm. it, and it, again, it just plays back into that cycle of continuing to oppress people. And I think, and it's something that, it's something, so, sorry, this next thought is something that I've read in quite a few places, so it's not original by any, mm. any shape of the imagination, but this idea that you can control your health based on one thing that you do in your life. Like, I, I understand to an extent, yes, diet plays a, a role, exercise plays a role, stress plays a role, but by micromanaging one section of what you have control over, that is not going to affect you for better or for worse in in the bigger picture if the system's already letting you down. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that's not translated enough because if your system isn't there to support you in making those changes and you may be wanting to make changes for your health for the better, but if you don't have the resources to do that, whether that be education or a good good food system or access to a, to transport or whatever it is, that change is not going to work. Yeah. Long term. Yeah. And this is something that we touched on in last in, in the last episode as well. But, like, that idea that by, you know, what diet culture sells us is this really kind of, like, um, super restrictive, really kind of, like, specific diet. That unless you're eating exactly that, and God knows what that is with, like, keto mm. and all these weird diets now. <laughs> but, like unless you're doing that, you're a failure. And so a lot of people are like, you know, killing themselves to adhere to that diet. But the overall impact of that is that they're like, mm. not very much healthier based on like nutritional outcomes in terms of like the knowledge that we have about nutrition. They're also worse off in terms of their like yeah. mental health. They don't have the time to be like looking after themselves. Their self-care like drops off. And it's just like the yeah. damage that that does is so much greater than the benefit of going keto or whatever diet you're you're yes. going to go on. And I think it, it really goes to show exactly. the sort of, like, the groups that, um, for lack of a better word, fall for these things are obviously the people, generally speaking, mm. who have a lot more privilege and a lot more time anyway. And so it's kind of that, like, oh, yeah. like, what can I do? But then because because those people are going for it, the people that have less privilege see that as a sign of success and of, of like well-being. Yes. And so rather than like focusing on their self-care and like trying to get, you know, a good routine in place and a good sort of like balance within in their life so that they can actually work on improving their out, like their own personal situation. They're like, Oh, this person's on this diet. That'll get me to where they are. Like it kind of like sells you this idea of like, what it is to be successful um, and people end up falling for this yeah. like really damaging, not actually, it's not actually what gets you there. If that makes sense. 
Yes. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's the idea of... I Yeah, like the idea that whatever diet you're on is... I think you used a really good term last time, which was hack health. Mm. Like, it looks like the shortcut to becoming healthy when when really it it it's not it's all of those other things the yeah the the fundamental stuff that's going to get you there um and unfortunately for a lot of us like we can't change that no go on no exactly right no i was gonna say and drawing that back to i guess the 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 patriarchy (laughs) and how much that influences our lives without an understanding of of how I'm still trying to get my head around everything that the patriarchy's influenced in my life. I don't think I'll be ever to unpick able to I will ever be able to unpick <laughs> everything that the patriarchy has influenced. However, I think the most key important thing that people need to think about is Like, actually, no. Not the thing that think people need to think about. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I think women n- need to remember, or people who, sorry, who don't identify as a man, <clears throat> rather, um, is that you're expected to be a certain way in order to be successful. And that, whether that be looking a certain way or behaving a certain way, that is something that people need to think... I'm not phrasing this really well. I'm really not being eloquent at all. I just... I really struggle with the fact that in order to be successful because of patriarchal standards, you need to be either be perceived a certain way or be a certain way. Mm. And that's got to be that good, suppressed individual that knows when to talk and has a slim build and eats well and is distracted by 110 other things in order to be a person that becomes successful. Yeah, and I think the fact that our society and the systems that we operate within hold those people up as successful, first of all, like, like I mean, good on them if they're actually doing good work and in whatever role they're in, great. like, if they're doing the job well, great. But it means that because they've got so much other stuff going on, we're not actually peaking like we're not actually having the impact that we could because mm. like that person's capacity if they didn't have to worry about so many other things might have been higher there might be someone next to them that's like an absolute yeah. genius or you know really really good at whatever they're doing that for some like because they're not socially acceptable hasn't been given the opportunity to succeed and be effective in their role and like this is not just speaking in terms of like jobs but like in terms of like leadership and politics and business and you know like social change as well because we're all so preoccupied by keeping ourselves looking a certain way and looking acceptable and adhering to binaries and and the things that we're like because we're so focused on what we look like basically we're not given the opportunity to be good, to do well. And the thing that I've also picked up on in addition to that is that, yeah, aside from adhering to binaries and being socially acceptable, is being not being an inconvenience. Mm. 
in any way, shape or form, whether that be disruptive to a system or questioning ideas of the man or even just as simple as, like, people with varying abilities, for example, it's always seen as an inconvenience. Anything that stops, yeah, like, efficient movement of anything, whether that be a system or, like, a train or anything, that's always seen as an issue. Mm. I don't know where I'm going with no, this. No, I, like, I totally know what you're saying, though. It's that, mind. like, you have to fit yourself into this box of being, like, the perfect person by this, like, patriarchal mm. standard. And so if you're not that, but you might be actually, like, a fantastic candidate for whatever you're doing, you're not given the opportunity mm. to. And you're also told that you you can't do it. And so you get this kind of like complex yeah. where you're you don't have the esteem and the confidence to do something because you've been told that that's not what people like you do. And I think a prime example of this, I know yes. there's much worse ones, but like in terms of like ableism and disability and gender like just general gender um politics as well, but a really like example a really like common thing for us is that there's like no fat people in dietetics and like you know and I think that's where people like me are kind of like obviously a bridge to that because I am in a like larger body but I'm not super fat I'm not you know right at the higher end of the weight spectrum and so like in most of my classes I was like the biggest person in the room which is like ridiculous Mm. because I'm in terms of, like, the population, I'm somewhere in the middle, right? Like, I'm not... I'm not an extreme. And so it's really disheartening to walk into this space and become... It becomes very clear and apparent that it's not a welcoming Mm. space for fat people and fat people are not welcome there. And that's 100% to do with diet culture and the patriarchy because it's, like, you know, in order to be a Mm. dietitian, you have to do this, this, this and this and you have to look this way which is something that we've talked to no end about before. But I guess the, I mean, part of it is because the idea of what a dietitian does in when you're like applying for uni, when you're like 18 or whatever, that isn't appealing to fat people because it's saying what I want to do is fundamentally change what I look like and who I am. Because through diet culture, like yeah. the idea that we have of dietitians is a very diet cultured one. Like it's it's very, like yeah. they like, I mean, tell anyone you're a dietitian, they're like, oh, can you help me lose weight? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you do realize like you're talking to someone who is fat. Um, but you know, it's it's that kind of like, it's very clear that that type of person mm. isn't welcome in that space, and it just it really um, exacerbates the problem because, again, it keeps that cycle in place and it keeps the kind of, like, it keeps those people out of that space. And so what we can do to kind of, like, move the conversation in the right direction is exist and show up and do these things. Um, And I don't know if you saw that thing that I put up on my Instagram. It'll be, like, three weeks ago now by the time this episode goes up. Um, but the thing that I, the like piece that I put up on International Women's Day was talking specifically to that about like, you know, showing up and being the change that you want to see, because 
until like a fat person walks into the dietetics into a dietetics course that's gonna give such a big impact on future people and future representation and being able to slowly shift the narrative to be helpful for like people after mm. us yeah and for those who haven't read it we'll link it below i thought i don't i haven't told you this in person but it was very beautiful to read <laughs> and I got, after i shared it, a lot of people messaged me and said so liza wrote some beautiful words for international women's day and a lot of people messaged me and were like oh my god that this was amazing to read <laughs> like um so yes we'll link that below or maybe just even put it below not even link it we'll just Feature it. It's That'll quite. Be the show it's now. quite long. Um, <laughs> maybe I think I might put it up on my blog <laughs> just so that it's like in another place as well. Um, so yeah. if I've done that by when this episode goes up, I'll link that. Um, but yeah, I guess what I was yeah. trying to speak to is like we all feel very hopeless in that we have to adhere to these things, regardless of like I'm not talking. I'm not just talking about women, but um, you know whatever like marginalized identity and whatever kind of like group you fit into we all feel like we have to adhere to these kind of like rules and standards and things that keep us small Mm. and keep us in place but you know a lot of people have suffered before us to give us the the privileges that we have now and so if we're not for lack of a better word abusing those privileges by showing up and existing in our fat, whatever, gender diverse, disabled bodies, then, yeah, you know, it's, it's, what was that? For? It's partially been for a waste, but then it also paves the way for people after us to be held up and lifted up by our representation and our voices as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, we can link that piece and make of it what you will. But I guess what we're saying is that in the space of nutrition, in the space of our work, intersectional feminism is like a core principle that is really, really important to, in order to give people health equity and be able to um, help the people who actually need it most. And that's something that I'm constantly thinking of. Um, and I'm aware yeah. that we've already been talking for like almost an hour about this, but um, <laughs> I think another thing is that like, this isn't something that we're taught about as part of the, so, like, a part... I was just yeah, going to say part that. of uni. Oh, um, yeah. It's, it's something that, like, Liza says that, yes, it's part of our practice, but we literally just mean ours, as in Liza and Bran. <laughs> it's not something... Something that we've had to discover on our own. to think about. Yeah, and I'm really, really glad that I have. I, I have learnt so much more about equity and equality through my own researching of this um, and being able to learn how to be an ally in the best possible way in order to have social change and have change in dietetics, which I'm still learning a lot about. I'm a baby in this space. Mm. I am always willing to be corrected or called out or if anyone has useful resources I will always be happy to read or share or whatever um but this is not a common conversation to have which is why we I guess we wanted to have it is that 
there's very, very few people in the world who do consider this as part of their dietetic practice mm. specifically. I think more broadly across the medical field, there is some, like psychology, obviously, and, and social work. I think medicine and, to some yeah. extent, and social work. Yeah, but for dietetics, we're not taught... I feel like it's almost a very simplistic approach in that A plus B equals C. You're not taught to think about extraneous factors that may affect f- or food intake or what forces people to do what they do mm. aside from money and transport yeah (laughs) and that's such a like you know small-minded privileged position to and I I guess it just speaks to the the sort of like level of privilege that the people educating dietitians have which I understand is like again it's one of those things that stems back like like who knows why that's the case but because Mm. people with these privileges have been in power and have the continuing like it, it rolls on to the future generations because there's no one kind of like disrupting and changing these things. It means that, you know, dietetics in particular, and I'm sure this occurs for a lot of other industries, but it becomes less and less accessible to those who actually need those services and need the like, you know, could benefit from very foundational nutrition education and information and we're up, way up in the clouds serving the people that are the top, basically. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it really frustrates me that or we're not really... Or the opposite, where you're... Yeah, no, go on. I was just going to say, like, if you're in a clinical setting, sometimes you may be, especially in a public hospital, hospital serving the people who are at the very bottom of the spectrum yeah. and have no capacity to make these changes. Yeah. Which could have been very easily um, present- so preventable if... If we'd had more mm. inclusive health education from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And not just seeing it or having the attitude that this is just the way that people are. Being able to understand that the reason they are is because of the system mm. that they're in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, this is something that, I mean, it's a bit tangential, but, you know, a lot of the public health information that we're given in terms of, like, you know, ads about sugar and all of these kind of, like, messages that we're told by (laughs) our public health networks, a lot of them, like, they're very diet culture-y because they're created by these people with this privilege. Mm. And so they don't actually acknowledge all of the other, like, more foundational stuff that is Mm. impacting people's health. Like, yes, it will improve the health of some people, but... It's also very damaging to yeah. people who are at risk of eating disorders and people who are, like, you know, l- like, less financially privileged and can't afford to feed their kids unless they're feeding them these foods that they're now being told, like, you know, the worst possible thing they could be doing. And it's, like, it's just such an uncompassionate system um, that only serves people yeah. that are already, like, well off, basically, which really, really annoys me. And some of the stuff that, like has come out like for example when there was chat about having kilojoules on like fast food menus for example i don't know what like as a as an educated professional i give two shits about that mm. like i would not walk into a macca's and go oh this has 6000 calories and this has five like 4000 calories i wouldn't know what that actually means all i know is that it would give me less energy. I wouldn't understand 
Like, it would just confuse me more. Yeah, but what we've been... And the fact that there was... But what we've been told by diet culture is that less is better. And so what it's doing is saying, like, you should be having the one with less calories in it, which in itself gets in the way of the experience of eating fast food and, like, it gets in the way of the pleasure and enjoyment of it. Yeah. And doesn't actually let you benefit, like, Mm. get what you need out of that food. Um... Which is, yeah, yeah. Feels it's a whole other conversation, but it, yeah. yeah, we can come back to that another time, Sorry. but I think yeah. we should probably um, <laughs> wrap this up for today. But um, for anyone listening, we would be really interested in hearing um, your thoughts around this and like, I guess, continuing the conversation because obviously we're aware that we don't have the biggest impact and reach and a lot of people are talking a little bit about this um, and we can try and link a few of them mm in the show notes um but I guess hopefully for some of you who are I don't know if you're a new grad or are working in this space it's something to now consider and start to think of in your practice um so hopefully we've been able to kind of like give a little bit of perspective um should we move on to what's in season yes let's do it What should we start with? I am still kind of reading the same books, to be honest. Um, but I'm getting through them a bit quicker because I've got a bit more brain space. But um, Sophie Hagen's book we've mentioned, loving that. Please do that. As, like, if there's anything that's come out of this episode, mm. read that yes. book. Happy Fat by Sophie Hagen. Um, there's a few jokes in there, but some of them are pretty funny. I've had a good lull on the train <laughs> for some of the statistics that are in there. And she backs it up with references and ties that in really beautifully with lived experience. And you just get a really well-rounded understanding of what world is like as a fat person and whether you are a fat person and want to un- like have, I guess, a another person's perspective to read about or whether you're... I don't even want to say you want to be a fat ally. (laughs) Being a fat ally, (laughs) um, I just an important. It's given me so much insight into so many things. Yeah. Um, So yes, that book, hundred percent, love it. Um, I also, I think I mentioned it last time. I'm reading um, Adults by Emma Jane Unsworth. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm really enjoying that so far. Um, much more than I enjoyed Animals. So. That's a good start. Nice. Yeah. Um, What about you? I've been reading, as I mentioned, A Room of One's Own. I've almost finished that. Um, I've kind of had a bit of a... I think it was, you know, around... I've just been thinking about, like, feminism a lot recently, basically. So I've been reading a lot of, like, feminist literature. Um, But, yeah, I don't think I've actually, like... Oh, the only thing I've finished since we last spoke was The Testaments, which I liked... Um, if you've been like mm. seeing my little like book reviews that I've been doing on my Instagram, um, you would have heard my opinion already, but I just like, I liked it, but it didn't quite hit the spot in the same way that The Handmaid's Tale did. And I guess that's like typical of any sequel. Um, it was good. Yeah. Would recommend. Love a bit of Margaret Atwood. Um, yeah, that's the only book that I've finished since we last spoke, I think. Um, Cool. Yeah. Have you been watching anything new? Not really. Um, 
not <laughs> not in terms of like super educated <laughs> like great movie recommendations or anything um i <laughs> i subscribe to um alana davison on youtube instagram all the content creatory things mm. Um, and she's doing a video every day for a hundred days, and God, that's a lot of work. Um, <laughs> it is, and she's—I love it. Like her personality is really refreshing. Like she's quite funny. There's definitely a lot of diet culture mm. things in there, um, but I just avoid that and go for the makeup tutorials. And her vlogs are pretty fun. So, and she has a cat called Meryl. She's very cute. Such a good cat name. So I've been watching a lot of her videos. Yeah. Meryl, well, like, she named her Meryl because apparently when she meows, she sounds like she's saying Meryl. Meryl? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly like that. I love it. Pretty much. It's like, so. this is my name. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I do like her stuff. She's just a little um, bit so too diet culture for me sometimes. Um, I think she's stepped away from it a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of talk about supplements yeah, and shit, just, which I'm just not here for. I mean, so see our I conversation from a couple die. of weeks ago on our opinion on that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You been watching anything else? So that's it. No. Um, I've got a huge list. Yeah. Someone was telling me about a really cool, um, oh, let me get it up. It's on my phone. Um, Netflix. I think it's called... It's either oh, is it the man in the high castle? Let me have a look quickly. Um, I think it's called the man in the high castle. And it's on Amazon Prime, and Amazon renewed my subscription for Prime <laughs> without me uh, wanting it. So I'm gonna capitalism um, yeah, strikes so again. It's Pretty much. Um, but it's a TV series on Amazon Prime, which I haven't watched yet, so I want to, and I've heard it's really good, mm. um, about if World War Two had turned out differently. So Ooh, that that's interesting. The Axis powers won the war, and that means that America, or United States of America, was divided into three parts. So there was the area controlled by the Japanese, an area controlled by the Nazis, and a buffer zone between the two. Um, and it's kind of, it's just interesting because like we've been talking about, um, just Western powers, it's a world without that. It's a world without mm. America having any power. That's really. so interesting. Um, so apparently it's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so I'll I'm, check that out I want to give well. that a watch before my Amazon Prime thing runs out. <laughs> so there you go. That's a recommendation that I haven't watched yet. Nice. <laughs> um, I have been yeah. watching... Yeah, what about you? I've been watching a lot of movies recently. Um, again, you might have seen on my story, I posted about Mubi, so that's M-U-B-I. I'm not sure if it's available in Australia. I haven't actually like checked this out yet. But it's basically a subscription service mm. where they post one film every day. So it's like a really curated selection of movies. Um, and they're available for 30 days, so you've got 30 days to watch them before they expire. And so it kind of like... I really mm. like it because it prompts you to keep up, keep up with it. Like, you have to watch it if you want to make the most of it. Otherwise, there's no point in having a subscription. Um, and I basically, yeah. I got a three-month free 
like three months free of it, um, which is really good from, because I'm a member at my local cinema. I, think... I have a feeling it might be coming to Australia if it's not already there. I think it is. Yeah. It just says nine, a 99, 9.99 a month, so I'm pretty sure you can yeah. get it in Oz. Um, I really like it. The selection of films is really good. Um, there's a lot of foreign film and a lot of like queer and more diverse like just creators, which is really nice. There's a lot of more like amateur stuff, like not not super super amateur, obviously, but like independent film and and different things. But there's also like a really good selection of like older like proper cinematic classics, um, and so you get a really yeah. good mix of like. And it kind of feels like you're sort of following a story rather than just kind of like randomly selecting a film and watching it. Um, I do have a link for, like, I can refer people to get a month free trial. You can get seven days free, just like free Mm -hmm. trial anyway. But I can link in the show notes my um, referral code for a month free trial, which if you're careful with it, like, you can get 60 films out of that. So... Great if you're in quarantine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's basically like been what I've been watching. I've also been watching Drag Race because that's just started up again. Nice. Um, Which is interesting. We can maybe, I mean, we don't have to talk about this, but you and I can talk about this another time. But there's like, um, there's a drag queen on it who since filming has been kind of like accused of all this like, being a sexual predator basically and like doing all these disgusting disgusting people like things to people um i won't go into oh, detail no. with it it's not it's not like i mean as far as i know the allegation it's not like proper like sexual assault and rape but um just being a horrible manipulative person basically um and so it's interesting seeing the way that the community is responding to that in light of those things coming out but it's obviously come out like after it was filmed and so um, it's this kind yeah. of like, this person's not mentioning it and they're kind of carrying on with all of the normal stuff and being well received on the show. But yeah, anyway, so I've been watching that. Um, I think that's all I've really been watching the last few weeks. I watched, um, hmm. on Amazon Prime, there's that series about Zelda Fitzgerald. Um, I watched that last weekend. Oh. And I'm not sure how to think about it i i really like like um so f scott fitzgerald is like i mean we did the great gatsby a high school and that's like one of my favorite books and i've always been interested since then in zelda his wife um because she's just like an interesting character and she's like i think she probably had an eating disorder but she's got some like interesting um just, yeah, just an interesting person, basically. So I, I watched it, and it was kind of good, but then also it was just a bit like, meh, it wasn't great. It wasn't super memorable. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just love the, like, 1920s vibes. Um, <laughs> one of those places that if it wasn't a horrible society to be living within, it would have been cool to be there. Um, yeah. yeah. What else has been going on? Nice. Um... Um, off the back of International Women's Day, I've actually, like, been listening to a whole heap of female artists that I listened to growing up. Nice. Um, which is real fucking niche, but there you go. 
Um, so I think I've actually put together a playlist that might be it might be public on my Spotify. Um, if it is, I'll link it down below. Um, but I don't know if anyone remembers Katie Tunstall, who sang "Suddenly I See." Oh my god! Like yeah, ugly Betty theme song. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I went through, like, a real intense Katie Tunstall phase, but after Suddenly I See. So she released an album called Drastic Fantastic, um, and I remember buying a, like, one of those play-along guitar books. Oh my god. Or was it piano? When I was in the UK, went on holiday. Yeah, like, when I say I loved her, I mean I loved her. <laughs> she was great. So I've been listening to that again. Um, also Sarah Bareilles. Nice. Um, just because... Like, love songs are tuned to sing out to in the car. But also the rest of the album's great. Like, would recommend... If you're feeling real anti-man, <laughs> um, Fairy Tale is a really, really beautiful... Not beautiful, it's a really angry song <laughs> um, about the fact that women have been fed fairy tales and that they're absolute bullshit. And she sings a song about it and it's great. Nice. Um, and also Haim. Yeah. Haim as well is on there and like Maggie Rogers and stuff. Yeah, of course. So listening to a whole bunch of female artists. Yeah, I've kind of been yeah. going through one of those phases <laughs> too. Um, the, like a version that came out on in, on the weekend of International Women's Day is like Lady Marmalade, G Flip did it, um, with a bunch yeah. of other people. It was yeah. like so good. Um, so definitely yeah. have a listen of that if you haven't already because like, oh. It was just like, and that's one of those songs that I remember, um, like I have really vi- like visceral memories of like listening to it when I was like a little kid. Um, yeah, 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 same. <laughs> it's oh, so good. Um, yeah, but I haven't really been listening to much recently. My headphones ran out of battery last week and then I just like didn't charge them. And so <laughs> I've just been like walking to and from work in silence, which has been horrible. Um... But obviously yeah. we're back again. My headphones are now charged, so it'll be okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I've been doing much else. I've just kind of trying to been like meal prepping a bit, not prepping, but like batch cooking stuff so that I can freeze things just in case. Um, so I've been making like yeah. bolognese's. Oh, and I got my um, I got my spring oven for my bread, which is like a big terracotta kind of like. Kind of like a tagine that goes in the oven and you bake the bread inside it. Um, so I, I'm about to go and test this. Test it after. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go and test it after this ep- after we finish recording this episode. So that should be really good. Um, but nice. yeah, just been kind of hanging out, working. Um, Pretty much the same. Yeah. We're so fun, lives. Look I at know. Us. We live such enriching and exciting lives. Um, but at least we're not subscribing to patriarchal beauty standards. So here we are. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just kind of. That's pretty much it. Just, I mean, I'm not sure what the world is going to be like when this goes out in an, a week and a bit's time. But um, yeah. just a reminder to like look after yourself, look after other people, to anyone listening to this, because it's not your health that matters, but it's the people who are most vulnerable. Um, So try to do what you can. And also, yeah, and 
like if you do feel like you're living a bit subpar compared to what you usually do it's probably because you are because our system isn't necessarily made to cope with this shit no um (laughs) and if there's anything that i would love to recommend people to watch aside from reading sophie hagen's book is um, all of the videos about people in Italy who are in isolation sitting or standing on their balconies and listening to music. Mm. Um, they're just having the best fucking time, and I think that that's the way to do it. Yeah. Like, yes, it's going to be shit. I know some of my friends and I have chat- chatted about um, having a little co-working space all together because we'll probably have to all be working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the opportunity to do that because we're all in desk jobs. So just like doing fun shit like that, just hanging out and yeah, making the best of what's a pretty grim situation. Yes, call your friends. Um, look after your own mental health because that's gonna be the key to getting through this. Um, for most of us who do have the privilege of being um, young and fit and healthy, um, it won't be bad for you. But um, mm. Trying to keep your own, you know, risk low is going to help other people as well. So, yeah, try and look after yourself. Look after other yeah. people. Try and help friends in need if they need it. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So, we um, should probably wrap up. On that note. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go bake my bread now. Um, We're trying to... That's it. I'm going to eat a bowl of cereal because it's 9pm and I'm... Oh, what time is it? Yeah, 9pm and I'm still hungry. Yeah. So, Alright, well, <laughs> we will um, wrap it up here, but we will um, catch you in the next one. Stay safe, guys. Bye! Bye!